That one is my favorite. We can do that one every week, Kyle. It's totally fine with me. It just doesn't get any better than that. All right, I've got a few things to address with you people. Last week, um, Jason was here, the new senior minister. He was voted in, although I have demanded a recount. I believe um, the Russians may have been involved. But anyway, uh, so Jason was here giving the message, and I, there, there was something that dawned on me this last week as I thought back on that entire experience. First of all, several of you know, because I told you a couple weeks ago that I'd really messed up my back and so that sciatica stuff, and it's a lot better, so I'm very thankful for that. But last week, I was sitting about three-fourths of the way back here in the middle section. I tried to make it through the whole service, but after you sit for a while, if you've ever had that, you just have to stand up and stretch it and walk around. So I quietly excused myself, went into the back lobby there, and I'm just kind of pacing back and forth. And our little friend Josh Evenson came walking back there. He should have been worshiping, but he wasn't. He came back there to where I was pacing in the lobby, and all he said was, getting a little nervous because he's doing a good job, aren't you? <laughs> and I wanted to have a witty retort, but all I could come up with in the moment was, no. So there was that. Then we have the congregational meeting, and during the vote of affirmation, Ben Reed announces, just to make sure everybody's aware, that Jason will be taking over Dave's role, but Peter will continue doing the preaching on Sundays. And the Massengills, both of them right behind me in unison, well, what's the point of this then? As if they were expecting my replacement. And then Mike Hamilton. Mike Hamilton comes up to me to make sure I noticed last week this was the most attended church service I've seen in many, many years. And the kicker, friends, I'm not even to the kicker. I received a text message with a video clip. Someone in this congregation threatening to go viral with this video clip of me from a previous sermon. Could we roll it, please? Hitler wasn't that bad. Can we roll this one more time? Hitler wasn't that bad. That is clearly edited. I was saying that those people had said that Hitler wasn't that bad. So if I get canned, you all know. So here, anyway, this is what I was getting at. Over the course of the last week, it dawned on me, this, you people really need to start living like Jesus. We got a real problem in this church, and I think it's time we put it into it. Which the good thing is that's where we've arrived. As you know, this entire year we've been doing this larger three-part, three-series-in-one-series series called Being Like Jesus. And what we did was we divided the year up into three sections. The first third of the year, we're going to look at one thing. The second third, another thing. And then the third third, a, a, a third thing. And this was the verse that we based it on. Remember when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So the first third of the year, we looked at thinking like Jesus. We live in a world of people that think like men do about God, who is God. We put God in a little box that we can understand and who Jesus was and who Satan is and what the church is. And we don't want to think like men. We want to think like Jesus. And then the second third of the year, we looked at this, and this is where we've been. Loving him with our heart, acting like Jesus, learning spiritual disciplines. Okay, And then the third part of that that we're getting into now is loving him with our spirit that we're going to live like Jesus. Make sure you understand how all of this fits together. I think that it does. I think you'll see that. What you think in your head, the ideas of your head, will soon become or will soon influence what you do with your body. That's why we say things like, what is, what is that guy thinking to do that? We do things according to what it is that we think. So the way that we think impacts the way and influences the way that we act. And how you think and how you act added to time will eventually become who you are. 
That's what we're getting at. That's what I'm trying. It's a math equation, all right? You think like Jesus, and you add to that acting like Jesus, give a little bit of time in there, and you will end up living like Jesus, which is where we'll spend the rest of this series, living like Christ. Some of you were here when we did the series a couple years ago on the Holy Spirit. We called it Unleashing the Holy Spirit. And if you, even if you weren't, you remember the part in Scripture where Jesus is leaving his disciples and they're ticked off because he already left them when he died and now he's back and they're excited and now he's telling them he's got to leave again. And you remember what Jesus says, that it's better for me to leave you because if I leave you, then the Spirit will come. And the disciples didn't fully understand that as they're in John 16, 7. And it seems weird, because if you think about it, how nice to have your own personal Jesus that walks with you everywhere. So when you're in a situation and you don't know what to do, well, how would you handle this? And then he tells you, and then you just do it. What could be better than that? Well, there's one thing that could be better than that, and that's if the Spirit of God lives inside you and guides you, and you don't need to turn to someone else to say, how should I act in this situation? Because the Spirit is teaching you, and you are becoming inside out like Jesus himself. That's what we're going for. That's what this is going to be. If I asked you to give me a word picture of Jesus, just give me attributes of his character, is there anything that you would say that would be more accurate than what I had you read this week? And if you weren't here and you, you didn't get your reading assignment, you were to read Galatians chapter 5. And starting in verse 22, I know we call this the fruit of the Spirit, and it is, but look at these words and consider the character of Christ. Is this not a perfect picture of him? Which would make sense because the Spirit of God descends on him. He has the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a word picture of who Jesus is. And if you read Galatians 5, you saw that contrasted this week with what Paul referred to as the fruits of the flesh. Okay, go back to where we've been. Am I going to think like a man or am I going to think like Jesus? Am I going to act like man or am I going to act like Jesus? Am I going to live like a man or am I going to live like Christ? The fruit of the flesh. Okay, I'm fine. Just, it's fine. I'm fine. There's a, I'm fine. All right, anyway, this is, uh, it's my back. Um, so this is what Paul says. This is the acts of the flesh. You go back to verse 19. They're obvious. Sexual immorality and impurity. Debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it should. And then Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, those who think like man, act like man, live like man, they will never inherit the kingdom of God. Because if you're thinking like a man and acting like a man and living like a man, then the Spirit of God is not inside you. So you need to be on guard. Is this de describing your life? That's the fruit of the flesh. That's the world that you and I are surrounded by. And it makes total sense. Why? People who think according to the flesh will soon do what? They will soon act according to the flesh. And when over time you think according to the flesh and act according to the flesh, you will live according to the flesh. That's what surrounds us. And what we desire is to be different. At least I hope we do. We desire to be like Jesus, to think like him, to act like him, to be like him, not like the flesh. So how do we make all of that happen? How does it all go? This is exactly what Paul is desiring for the Galatians when he writes this letter. The book of, the book of Galatians, we call it. If you look at chapter earlier in chapter 4, he says these words to them. He says, my dear children, for whom I again, again am in the pains of childbirth. Now, we know the pains of childbirth, some of us more than others, but we all understand that that is an agonizing experience, hopefully with joy on the other side, but it's an agonizing experience. And why is Paul in such agony? Look at what he wants. 
until Christ is formed in you. The very thing that we're going to spend the next nine weeks talking about, Christ being formed in us, that is what Paul is desperate to see happen to the Galatians. He wants them to be so spirit-filled that Jesus is literally forming them from the inside out. I don't know if that's where you are. That's what I want. I'm done with everything the world has to offer me. It doesn't offer me anything that lasts. This is the way I want to spend my days, where Jesus is forming me from the inside out, and I'm radically different than anything and everything around me. And Paul says he's agonizing over this. Well, why is he agonizing over it? Well, now it's time for a history lesson. All right. I'm going to give you some quick background. We're not going to read the entire book of Galatians. You're going to get the heck notes version of it, just so that you understand kind of what's going on. You got a church in Antioch. Uh, did you ever see Monty Python and the Holy Grail? The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch? All right, so there's like three of you that are cultured. Anyway, so this is the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch sends Paul out, this great missionary Paul, and they say, you need to go preach. It's the area called Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. These are not Jews. You need to go to preach. Remember in Scripture, you've got the Jews and the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. So they're sending Paul out to go speak specifically to a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews, and win them to Jesus. And so he does. And when Paul goes to these Gentiles, he preaches the gospel message beginning in Genesis chapter 12. You remember several weeks ago we said that's where the gospel starts. Where God says to Abraham, it is through your seed that all people on earth are going to be blessed. Everyone is going to be blessed because what I'm going to do through your line. And so what Paul does, he goes out and he tells the Gentiles, this is for all people. I know you're not Jews. You don't need to be Jews. You just need to come to Christ. And there's a lot of people in the towns and the cities around Galatia that respond. And so they form this church that's there. Okay? They are told that if they accept Jesus as Messiah, if they accept Jesus, that they have now been adopted and have become children of Abraham. They are essentially in the family of God that had always been previously reserved for the Jews. That's what they've come to believe. By the way, that's what you and I believe. That's what we believe. Okay, I'm not Jewish, and I've never been Jewish, and I'm not going to be Jewish. I was not born into Judaism. But I also understand that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those are my forefathers. I am of that family. That is my heritage, right? We have become children of God, adopted into his family through faith in Jesus. I can tell by your faces you don't believe me. So flip to Galatians 3, just a couple pages back from where you were to be, and look, to, look at what Paul says starting in verse, uh, verse number 7. Verse 7 in chapter 3, Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. All nations. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now skip down to verse 26 and we'll finish it off there. Verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, you can't put it any clearer than that, and that is incredible news. I do not need to become Jewish to be adopted into the family of God. I need Jesus is what I need. But something went wrong. And that's why Paul writes this letter to the Galatians. Something went haywire in this. They're all excited. They've been told this. They believe this. But then these converts are taught by another group of people, another group of Christ followers 
who were previously Jews. And these people were saying, you can come to Christ, but you're not really in God's family until you've been adopted into the lineage of Abraham, which means you need to become Jewish. You need to become circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. And you need to follow the law of Moses. Otherwise, you're not really the children of God. You can say you're following Christ, but you're not in God's family. That's what they've been taught by these people. And for four chapters in the book of Galatians, Paul is just screaming, no. Jesus alone is all you need. That's what he's saying for four chapters. Look at the the first verse in chapter 5 that you were to read. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now what do we do with that verse? Every 4th of July, every Memorial Day, every Veterans Day, we put it on our programs and we put an American flag or maybe the guy's holding the flag up on Iwo Jima. Stand firm in the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free. That verse is not talking about American patriotism. It's not talking about America's version of freedom. We rip it out of context for that, but that's not. This is talking about freedom from the burden and the yoke of the law. You don't have to follow the law to be in Christ. That's what he's saying. Because that's what these Galatians have been taught. Live your life in freedom. Live it for God. Christ living in you. And walk by the Spirit. Now, trashing these other teachers. But they had a reason for why they taught that. They had a reason why they taught these people. You got to be circumcised. And you got to follow the law of Moses. And here was their legitimate concern. Without the law and without rules... You people are going to come to Christ and then do whatever the heck it is that you want to do. You're just going to go out and behave in these worldly ways. You're going to think like the flesh and act according to the flesh. You're going to live like the flesh, but just say, well, I got Jesus. Okay, do you know how happy I am that this part of Scripture is in there? Because this is a battle we still have today all over the place, but they were having it back back then. At one end, the legalists. In order to be saved, you've got to follow all of these rules, dot all these I's and cross all these T's. And at the other end, you got the people who live by license and absolute freedom. Well, I came to Christ. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter who I hang out with. It doesn't matter what I do on Saturday nights. It doesn't matter how I behave because I'm in Christ. The legalists, the rule enforcers, and the rule breakers at the other end. The licentious folks, the licensed people. Okay, Both ends. And we deal with that in the church today. And the two sides are at each other, and they were back then too. That's why I'm so glad we've got Paul's testimony to say a believer is going to reject both of those. You don't understand what you're doing if you're thinking along either of those two lines. On the one hand, he's going to talk to these people over here. Are you following me? Am I doing a good enough job with this? Because I'm getting very excited. Okay, he's going to talk to these people. Remember, these people over here, these are the rule enforcers. Like in my family, I've used this illustration before. This is me, and then the person that just does whatever the heck she wants to do, this is Jenny over here, okay? So we've got licentious. Is this okay with you? Yeah, all right, good. Um, So anyway, now is probably not the time to ask, but you don't. I'm just glad you're paying attention. Anyway, so you got, you got license over here and you got the rule followers over here. So Paul's first going to address me. That's who he's going to talk to in verse 6. What does he say? He says to those who want to be rule enforcers, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's what matters. And then he turns and looks at Jen and says very politely to her, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Okay, I want you to see this because this is really exciting to me and it may not be to you, but you've learned enough to fake it. Do you see what's happening right here? The answer that we're looking at. The answer to legalism and the answer to license. 
Do you see something similar right there? I'm going to highlight it for you. What is the answer to this? It is spirit-led Christian love. That is the solution to both of these. When you have the spirit of God living in you, you don't need the rules to keep from doing all of this stuff over here. When you are being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, that's the solution to all of this. My love for, I'm talking to myself now, my love for God enables me to follow the rules without a list of rules. Why? I don't want to break rules. I want to chase after the character of God. I want to be more like Him. I want Him to form me and shape me. I don't need a list of check-off rules that I have to follow. I want to pursue Him. And, and then this, love for my neighbor ensures that I don't use my freedom in Christ to hurt others. Remember what we said about submission. I'm the highest. I'm adopted. I'm a son of the living God. And what will I do with that power? What will I do with that privilege? I'll do what Jesus did. I'll go low. And I will wash even the feet of Judas himself because I love my neighbor. Do you see how spirit-led love fixes both of this? By the way, this should sound familiar. Love of God, love of neighbor. You remember where we started, right? With this Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, notice Paul's warning in verse 15. He's speaking to us. Look at verse 15 right here. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, these two opposite ends, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is a very real possibility. And I'm telling you, we need to hear this today because law enforcers and rule rejectors within the body of Christ today are constantly at each other's throats. Satan doesn't have to do anything. He just sits back and watches the church devour itself over these things. The same things that we have been taught about in Scripture, but we're not listening to. We're arguing back and forth, and it is obliterating the unity that Christ has commanded for his church. And we've talked about the importance and significance of unity. So what is the solution to that? Well, that's what we're going to spend this time talking about. Because from here on out to the end of this chapter, verse 16 on, he says it over and over and over. In case you didn't pick up on it, I'm going to just pick three verses as you go down through this section. I want you to look and see if you see it. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's kind of on the nose if you're even paying attention as you read it. We're going to do what? Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep with the Spirit. The Spirit is the heart and soul of living like Jesus. If you want to truly live like Jesus, you must be changed from the inside out by the spirit of the living God. That's the solution. That's the only solution. And that's why for the next nine weeks, we'll be looking at these hopefully in a new way. For next week, I want you to make sure that you read about the fruit of love. Okay, that's the first one that's listed in that picture of Jesus. But this is the way I want you to think about it. Is love an attribute of your character? And, and what do I mean? If out in our community somebody said of me to a group of people, you know, Peter, he's a loving guy. How are those people going to react? Are they going to say, he really is? I mean, he, he does this and he did that. Or are they going to start laughing and say, wait, 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 who? I don't think we're talking about the same guy. Is this an attribute of your character that people see that and recognize that in you? And these are the two chapters for you to read. You've got uh, the last five books of the Bible. 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, and Revelation. They're pretty short, except Revelation. But 1st John, the fifth from the end. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 1st John for next week. Okay? So 
make a note of that. First John chapter 3 and chapter 4 for next week as we talk about this. But before I just leave us for next week, I need to set this up. All right, so hang with me. I need to establish something before we dive into these. Because the fruit of the Spirit is hitting me as I've done uh, uh, over the course of the last several weeks looking at these. It's hitting me in a new way. And it's not that I think that I've been always wrong about the fruit of the Spirit. But I think this is an important point to make. This is not a list of virtues. We think of these things as virtues. I'm a loving person. I'm a patient person. I'm a kind person. All of those things we say, oh, that's, that's virtuous. Those are virtues. We should have that. But that's not really what's happening. And if you think about it, that makes sense. Because Paul has just said, you don't need to follow a list of rules. So here are a list of rules for you to follow. It doesn't make sense. That's not what this is when he says the fruit of the Spirit. So what is it then? What is Paul getting at? I read it described this week, um, and I do not agree, as, this, as pebbles. Uh, the story is a weird story, but it was about these guys, three guys that are traveling through the Arabian desert at night and they come across this stream and they hear this mysterious voice like it's Aladdin or something and it's saying to reach down and pick up a pebble and put it in their pocket. And I guess when you hear a voice in the Arabian desert at night and you don't know where it's going, you just do it. So they reach down, they pick up a pebble and they put it in their pocket and the voice directs them to go somewhere and, and camp and when they wake up in the morning to reach in their pocket and they will be both happy and sad. And so they go to sleep and they wake up the next morning and they reach in their pocket and they pull out a jewel. And the pebble was a jewel. And so they were happy they had a jewel, but then they were sad because they didn't reach down and get more pebbles when they had the chance to. That was the whole point. And the author went on to say, and that's like the fruit of the Spirit. We can reach down and we can pick some of these, but why not get all nine and put them in our pocket? No, I don't like it. I don't like it because that to me is the idea of these are behaviors that I need to engage in and I'll make them part of my character that way. I don't, I don't think so. Look at that metaphor. What does Paul say? He does not say the fruits of the Spirit. And I know that there's a theological debate about this, but to me, contextually, this is pretty obvious. He says the fruit of the Spirit. One, it's singular is what he's saying. All of these words, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those on their own, they may be virtues and they're virtuous, but collectively they embody the fruit of the Spirit. I don't think I'm doing very well. So give me an example of a fruit tree. This is going to be the easiest way to do this. Fruit tree, what? Apple tree, good, all right, wonderful. Um, what, no, yeah, apple tree. So you got an apple tree. We understand what an apple tree does. It produces apples. Now my question is, why does the tree produce apples? That's a tough question to answer. If I say, why does a tree produce its fruit? How do you really answer why a tree does it? Because you can't really say, well, it's following a rule. I suppose you could say it's following the laws of nature, but even saying that, following the laws, it, like it has a choice? Like the tree consciously wakes up and says, well, I don't really want to produce an apple today, but I guess I have to, so, and it pops one out. The tree doesn't have thoughts, right? So it doesn't make any sense to suggest that it is a conscious decision that the tree is making to produce that fruit. We get that. In other words, fruit is produced from a tree because it's the natural consequence of the life in it. It doesn't have any choice. It just happens. The nutrients that come through the soil and the light that comes on the leaves and the water and all of that, if the tree is alive, it just has to produce fruit because of the life that's in it. It just happens. Bingo. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's getting at. We've talked about our decisions, the things that we choose to think and dwell on. We've talked about our actions, the things that we do, that stuff that we are choosing. But this is different. This is who you are. This is who you become. That's totally different than the things that you're choosing. The life of God living inside you will produce this in who you are. It has to. 
There's no other option. It's the direct result of that life inside you. Fruit is the evidence of life in the tree. So your life will produce fruit. Just by being alive, what kind of fruit is it going to produce? These things will be the evidence of God's life, the life of the Spirit living inside of you and us collectively living inside of this body of believers. There's a word for this, and it's a word that we don't talk about in our culture very much anymore. It's, it's not, well, we talk about behavior a lot, but we don't talk about this word. The word is character. We don't discuss character that much at all. And I say in our society, but it's not just our society. If you peruse the bookshelves of any major Christian bookstore, and there's not a lot of them anymore, so let's say you go online and you look at a Christian book website, or if you go and you look at a Christian book magazine, here's what you're going to see a lot of. You'll see a lot of best practices for a healthy prayer life. Or you're going to see formulating successful spiritual strategies. Okay, all of these things about stuff that we do. And consider how we assess people in their Christian walk. Well, how are they doing? We're not asking the question, who are they becoming? We're not looking at the big picture. We're not addressing character nearly as much as we are individual behavioral cues. Now, look back at that list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These don't focus on the performances that we achieve, do they? That's not what this is focusing on. This right here is focusing on the kind of person that you are. That's what I want to get across over the course of the next nine weeks. This last week, I went through Dave's office. He's clearing it out, so he's getting rid of a bunch of books, and he asked me if I wanted to come. Can I show you the best book that I pulled from his library? I'm going to cherish this one for the rest of my life. I cannot believe this man had it on his bookshelves, but this is it right here. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you write a sequel to that book, honestly. But anyway, um, just one page, sorry. Um, but anyway, so there's that. Then, this was the most disconcerting part of the whole thing. If you've been in Dave's office, maybe you've seen this. For some reason, I just hadn't noticed it before. But sitting on top of his bookshelves is a 1980s Soviet communist general's cap. So this tells me one of two things, both of which are very disconcerting. Number one, that all of Dave's trips to the Middle East have actually been some sort of co covert operation and he's waxed a few uh, commies in his day. Or what I think is more likely is that for the last decade we've been led by a communist here at this church. <laughs> Um, the elders have always, wait, he's always talking about sharing things. Anyway, so, but anyway, when I saw this cap and thinking about the Soviets and, and the Russians, I don't know how many of you know, and again, I, I get excited about this and maybe you don't, the story of the Tsar, Tsar Nicholas. Have you ever heard the story of Rasputin and all of that? I mean, this is one of the craziest stories in history. Tsar Nicholas and Alexandria, his wife, uh, over Russia, this around the time of World War I, they won an heir to the throne. But they've never had a kid. They want a kid. Finally, they have this kid, Alexei. But he has hemophilia. He has this bleeding condition. And he's going to die. And they can't do any. This is before doctors could have ever come up with a solution on how to stop all this. Well, there is this miracle worker, self-proclaimed miracle worker. We can probably assume that he was into the black magic and the dark arts and demonic stuff. This guy, Rasputin, who is, to this day, history has no explanation for how he alone was able to stop the bleeding of Alexei. But he could. Every time they would call him in, he would get the bleeding to stop. Now imagine being the parent, Tsar Nicholas or Alexandria. They became totally under the thumb of Rasputin because he held in his hand the life of their son. 
And when Tsar Nicholas goes off to fight in World War I, Alexandria is left. And as a mom, she is even more under the influence of Rasputin, and he's a bad dude. And he leads, them into, leads her into making all of these decisions that are bad for, for Russia, and eventually the Bolsheviks and the communists come, Lenin. There would have been no Lenin had there not been a Rasputin. Most people would agree with that. All right, so why am I telling you all of this? This idea of miracle working and, 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 and shiny objects and all of that, that's the kind of stuff that attracts us. We as human beings are drawn to the miraculous. And even if you want to say, okay, clearly Tsar Nicholas and Alexandria had a reason why they were drawn. It was the life of their son. I get that. But us as human beings, that's what we look for. The people making the big splash, the people doing the big things, those are the people that are making a difference. I want to see the miraculous, but stop and look at the fruit of the Spirit. That's not focusing on big splashes. That's focusing on who your life resembles. When people gauge your life, who does it resemble? I want you right now, and it's going to be different for all of you probably, think in your head right now of the single most Christ-like person you have ever known. Maybe they're still living, maybe they're not. I want you to get a picture of them in your head. The most Christ-like person you have ever had the privilege to know. You got them in your head? How would you define their life if I asked you to? Would you start rattling off, well, he was elected to this position, and you know she won this award from the, from the Rotary Club, and he did this and she did that. I don't think that's what you would do. My guess is, whoever it is that you're thinking, if I ask you to describe, you would start saying, I've never seen a more loving person than that individual. Nobody would have given of themselves more than she would. I've never seen anyone as generous as what she was. You're talking about their character. That's what I'm getting at. I'm reading a book as I'm doing this series by Christopher Wright is his name. And in his book, this just stuck out at me, he, he said who he thought was the most Christ-like person he'd ever met. And it's this British theologian named John Stott. Now, I know John Stott. I've read John Stott. And the thing is, a lot of people say that about John Stott, that if you knew him, the most Christ-like person ever. Do you know how unsurprised I am to read that anytime I see it? And here's why. Because John Stott had a prayer that he prayed every morning in his walk with Christ. Since he came to Christ until his death, this was the prayer that he would pray. This is what he would say. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. That's where I want to start. And Lord Jesus, I pray this day I may take up my cross and follow you. And then he reserved the majority of the prayer for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love. And he would meditate on him. Joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. It is no wonder to me that a man who every day begged the Holy Spirit of God to move in his flesh and ripen this fruit in his life so that others would see it, that everybody saw it. Church, I challenge you over the course of the next nine weeks... As we seek to live like Jesus, make this your daily prayer. Make this your daily prayer. May this be the prayer of this body. And let's see what the Spirit of God can do. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we want to live like Jesus. We want to embody the fruit of the Spirit because you embody us. That you fill us up. That when people see us, they see you. That is the ultimate desire. We know it doesn't happen overnight. So as we learn to think like you and to act like you, Father, we invite your Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives and ask that you would begin to show that fruit outwardly so that others can see it in us. Father, there is no greater privilege for a Christian to have 
than to be identified with your son, Jesus. And we know that it is through the work of your spirit that that happens. So teach us, mold us, shape us in that way. We pray in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen.